Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. I'm non-Pastor Michael. And on this special Holy Week mailbag edition of the Gather, Grow, Go podcast, we have a special guest with us. Youth Director Marianne. Woohoo! We are so excited that you are here with us today. Today's structure is going to be a little different. We are we asked the congregation for a number of questions surrounding Holy Week, and so as we try to enter the story of Jesus' final week here on Earth, his his time spent with his disciples at the Last Supper, his arrest, trial, crucifixion. Um, and then ultimately his resurrection, we wanted to, to give you space to ask your questions and, and to do a little wrestling along the way. As we get started, I want to share that I had both of my girls this week, ages four and eight, independently of each other, look at me with deeply puzzled expressions and go, why do we call Good Friday good? You're training them well. I know. Deep thoughts. Deep thoughts. Well, should we give credit to you or April on No, that? it's April. All the way. All, it, all the way. That is a powerful question, though, as much as I joke. It, it gets at the heart of the matter, right? Because yeah. Good Friday is the day that Jesus actually died. Yeah. Um, and I love that children have a way of kind of calling out the things that we as adults just accept. Yeah. As the normalcy. Well, it, it's one of those days where, you know, the echoes of the shouts of crucify him mm-hmm. still ring out. And and it is hard to to understand why we call it good when the the broken places in our human condition are so clearly visible that drive Jesus to the cross, right? Um, but we call it good because at the core of it, God was willing in Christ to endure anything even death on a cross, to restore the relationship of humanity and God. Um, that God was willing to live in the midst of and in the face of our brokenness, our pain, our moments where we completely missed the point, right? Um, and and so while it doesn't make... It's, it's one of those paradoxes of faith, mm-hmm. right? We, we call this moment good, and yet it is it doesn't seem to be good because we don't associate death with goodness, all that often we associate it with heartache and pain. And I think it's one of those things, Michael, I think you're someone who's um, good at doing this, of holding space for any emotion that is present um, and allowing that emotion to just be, even when it doesn't make sense. And I think the, um, the calling of the death of Jesus Christ is Good Friday is a day where we as humanity are forced to to sit and be in all the spectrums of emotions of that, of, of the death of God on a cross, but yet that that means that God's love um, is greater than mm-hmm. any of our brokenness Amen. that we can yeah. throw. Yeah, I think, I think we... Um... Typically, as humans, we tend to want to look at things through rose-colored glasses. Um, and sometimes, especially when it comes to our faith, you know, we, we want it to be all the warm fuzzies and none of the hard truths and, and hard stuff uh, about who we are and, and dealing with um, the, the fact that as a human being, we are capable of some of the greatest good and also some of the worst evil. And, yeah. and have, having to hold those two things uh, intention 
uh, I think is very represented in Good Friday. And that idea of Jesus understanding that um, and within that darkness and within that pain and within that death, Jesus still makes way for goodness. Mm. And, yeah. and so it's both things. Good Friday is, is good, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't you know, erase the fact that it's also sorrowful. Yeah. Well, Michael, speaking of you, we didn't think you would be here this week. We thought you would be enjoying the second child in you and Jenny's life and getting to watch Ellie be a big sister. And, but that just hasn't come to be. Yeah, the uh, our our child. I've I've been telling people our child is taking out a mortgage, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're just gonna have to start paying her rent. Right. So Did they get a good interest rate. Well, I'm like I'm, assuming, I'm assuming. Like okay. Uh, because you know it's my child, right. uh, <laughs> but also uh, ho- hopefully on Wednesday uh, or at least sometime after Wednesday something will happen where doctors will evict her. Uh, and, and maybe we'll, we'll get this thing done, but no, I'm still here for now. Very good. Well, we enjoy having you, Thanks. but we gave your um, job for mailbag away to Marianne. So Marianne, would you, uh, ask us some questions of people? Yeah, definitely. So Chloe and Abby started us off with a really great question, but we've got lots of good grown up questions this week too. The first one is why do Methodists observe Holy Week? Well, I think it's interesting, before we can ask why we do it, I think we get to the origins of it a little bit too, right? Yeah. Holy Week started um, with the observance of Good Friday, right? It started in that place of living in that tension of good and pain and heartache. And 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 when people celebrated that, when they lived in the experience of that, they said, how do we make this experience bigger and broader and more faithful and, and more transformative? And so they sort of traced their way back through the the life and sort of what we get from scripture, um, that final week of Jesus. And then we get Holy Thursday or, or Maundy Thursday, as we sometimes call it, pop up. And sounds very Catholic, which we have a former Catholic in the room and Marianne, Mm -hmm. and we have a former Baptist in the room. Well, actually we have two former Baptists in the room being me and Michael. So I feel like this podcast um, is going to be benefited by Michael and I's experience of not growing up with any kind of observance of Holy Week and being uh, able to just say, maybe after each question, Michael, we should just be like, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Mary Ann, who you just, yeah. this was life growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real thing. So did you practice in like growing up in the Catholic church, when did you start the practice of Holy Week or of Lent? Oh, uh, we literally went to Holy Week services every single night the entire time I was alive. Um, <laughs> no options. Yeah, no options. I wasn't sure if it was something like reserved for like after you're initiated, kind of no, like. No, yeah, I have memories of being like toddler aged and falling asleep at like nice. Holy Thursday <laughs> services. Um, uh, my dad, when I was pretty young, he got asked to be one of the people who had his feet washed by the priest, which for a kid, I was like, this is super weird that you would get all dressed up to take your shoes off (laughs) at church. Um, But yeah, that was a huge part of growing up. So when I came to the Methodist church, then um, 
I was a little surprised that Methodists did it just because there are so many things Methodists don't do. Um, but yeah, but when we trace the history of John Wesley being an Anglican priest, which maintains a lot of our Catholic traditions, then um, and in Methodism in America, then they were still worshiping at Episcopal churches on Sundays. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't know when we would have lost Holy Week if we look at our history. <laughs> I yeah, like I mean, that. as we just the, held on to it, right? Well, and as the the one cradle to grave Methodist in the room, that's right. The the initial answer to right. why do Methodists observe? <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not dead yet. I'm just saying. I mean, I think we're, I think you're fine. You're not I'm dead willing yet. to place bets on it. Okay, because <laughs> as Methodists, we can't bet, right? Uh, you can. I cannot. Oh. If you die before preaching on Easter, we're all going to be pretty frustrated about that. Okay. Well, me too. Um, just so we're clear. Um, the uh, But the initial question for uh, why do Methodists observe Holy Week, you know, the gut reaction is, well, because we do. It's just a part of our DNA. And, and yes, I think it is, it's a remnant of Wesley's um, Anglican roots. And, and as he was seeking to... to cause, Wesley didn't start out to start a new movement. He wanted to reform no. the Anglican Church, right? And what he had experienced, I believe, was the power of Holy Week services. So when he was trying to reform, it wasn't something that he said, well, we got to scrap this because this is terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's power in each of those observances, even if we abuse our small children and make their, them come every week, every day of the world, and, and they eventually fall asleep. Um, for those of us past a certain age, there, there's... There's potential for power in each one of those observances along the way. And so I think we keep it. Um, we have it because of that history. We keep it because it still has deep power to speak into our lives in a, in a really powerful way. So one of our congregants wants to know what Monday means. You've been asking us to go to Monday Thursday worship this week. What does the word Monday mean? All right, Monday. That this is our one invitation to a Latin lesson today. We're not going to spend much time in Latin Only as we get one lesson. Well, today? you may have more Latin in you than I've got, but this is my one Latin lesson in here. And in Monday is derived. It recalls the new commandment from John thirteen, right? Um, and, and the Latin in there is mandatum novum. Right, and so when we call something a Monday Thursday service, if we're going to be super um, committed and dedicated to the official correct way to label our services. We can only call it a Maundy Thursday if we have a foot washing or a hand washing associated with the service Um, because it is during this time when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet that he gives them the new commandment where the Latin mandatum novum comes from that we get Maundy for Thursday. That's why some years you'll see us call it a Holy Thursday service, and some years we'll call it a Maundy Thursday service. If our focus is just around the table, if it's just around the Last Supper, we're more likely going to call it a Holy Thursday service, where if we're doing the both-and approach um, with hand or feet washing and um, a focus around the table, then it will be what we label a Maundy Thursday service. And this year it's a Maundy it's Thursday yeah. service. Although we aren't washing your feet, just in case you're listening to this advance and are <laughs> creeped out by feet washing, we'll be washing your hands. So um, you don't have to consider what kind of footwear to wear on Thursday. Just show up and don't wear gloves and you'll be good. <laughs> ah, my Holy Thursday gloves will have to stay at home. Your Easter hat, your Holy yes. Thursday gloves. I know it's a... It's the whole thing. So our next question is pretty specific scripturally. So we're all going to get our Bibles out. 
um, we're looking in John 19, then one of the things it says in verse 33, uh, when the soldiers came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Can you tell mm. us a little bit about what that means and why they didn't break Jesus's legs if they broke everybody else's legs? Yeah, um, so the practical reason is the main reason why they broke the legs of people hanging on the cross is because they weren't dying fast enough, right? The If, if you've looked at the... I hope you haven't actually studied this because it's a little morbid. But if you have, the actual process of dying by crucifixion, mm-hmm. you have your arms splayed out wide and all of your weight is hanging from those two pivot points um, at your wrists with your feet supporting you a little bit along the way. And, and how you actually die is by your rib cage slowly crushing your lungs, right? And so you suffocate, which is terrible and bad. But for a while there, if you've got your feet on the cross, you're able to support your weight and sort of lift up with your legs and it sort of slows your dying process. And so the idea that you break somebody's legs is to take that away from them. What scripture shows us is that Jesus died before they got around to to breaking his legs. Now, that's the practical. There are also some theological things in play here as well. Yeah, so I, um, growing up, just always heard that it was because of the Old Testament that there was there was like a, there was a prophecy that you know um, said that you know whoever this Messiah was um, wouldn't have any bones broken. But you know, in, in further studies of looking at that, um, I actually think it ties back to kind of what um, Marianne lifted up in a conversation we were having um, about the Passover lamb. Yes. <laughs> the uh, So, you know, when you think about Jesus and his followers are first century Jewish people, mm-hmm. right? And so one of their important stories is the Passover, which is uh, a ritual passed down from the Exodus of Moses and leading the people out of Egypt. And one of the things that they did was they sacrificed a lamb and God told them that You can't just get the lamb that already had its leg broken and you're already going to kill it, but your sacrifice has to be of a whole lamb, one that would be an actual sacrifice of what you have. Um, And so uh, sacrifices couldn't have broken bones. And so when you think about, uh, well, if we're going to interpret Jesus's death as a sacrifice and we already have this sacrifice language in our tradition, then they kind of bring those stories together. That's probably what they told me growing up, but... (laughs) All, you know, grown up Melissa remembering childhood Melissa's brain remembered was somewhere in the Old Testament was all I got. I hope that our youth kids remember at least that much when they get to be your age. (laughs) Perfect. You got this tie between the the original Exodus and the new Exodus, right? The new liberation um, that Jesus is bringing, not just for the people of Israel, but for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this week we're going to have our Good Friday service, and then we're going to be holding Vigil on mm-hmm. Saturday night. So excited. Uh, yes, it's going to be really wonderful. And um, one of the questions is, what's happening with Jesus in the actual tomb between this Good Friday story and this Easter Sunday resurrection story? Yeah, so I I deeply appreciate the kind of conversations um, that happen around that space. Mm. Um, because I think it's an important time that sometimes we like to hit fast forward on. Like we we are willing 
to perhaps go all the way up to Good Friday and acknowledge that Christ died and then we want to skip to Easter morning. Um, but I think there's beauty in the kind of mystery and questions that you ask um, and placing yourself in the feet of the disciples of the confusion they experienced on Holy Saturday as they sat not knowing um, the end of the story like we know. And so my... Um, my belief on this comes out of the Nicene Creed, um, which is an old creed of the church that we more familiarly know it as the Apostles' Creed, um, is kind of where that developed out and from. Um, but there's a little line in it that we often don't say anymore. Um, and that line is that he died, speaking of Jesus, was buried. And then there's a little asterisk where if you go down to the end of the page, it'll say he descended to the dead. And and when you get into that um, biblical notion of descending to the dead, to Sheol, as the Old Testament often called it, um, what you're talking about is that Jesus went to hell, Mm. literally. And so our belief in, in this time period is that Jesus descends into hell. And so the beauty, and, and I know that that can be shocking when you first hear it, thinking of, but God is good, and yes, and and but how does he go to hell if he's good, right? Because we think about, you know... That's where Hitler goes, not where Jesus yes, goes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what we constantly think about. But instead, um, what we're saying is is that Jesus chose not only to die for us out of love, but go to the absolute worst place we could ever think of, which is hell. And so then, rightly, when Jesus is raised from the dead, we can say that Jesus broke the gates of hell and Mm. death. And that is, I think, the most powerful statement we can make. And I think it also reminds us, I think sometimes we like to pit like hell and heaven as equal and opposite forces and opposing and all that kind of stuff. But when we do that, we really diminish who God is. Mm -hmm. And so when we say that Christ broke the gates of hell, we're saying that no, hell has its place, but it is nowhere as big or grand as our God. Mm-hmm. who broke the gates of hell to love us. And I think hell is one of those things that, you know, we always think of in like when you die, right? We think of heaven sure. and hell when you die. But I think we know people who are experiencing heaven and hell on earth. Absolutely. And so I think this story of Easter isn't meant to be a story that just tells us something for when we die. Right. It's not about a day that is coming. It speaks to the here and now. It speaks to the here and now. And so Christ will meet us if we're in heaven and family is good and life is good. And Christ will also meet us in the midst of hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that I can't help as you're, as you're talking through this because we are leaning into a mystery here, right? Yeah. We, we have to lean upon the creeds and, and the tradition of our church because scripture leaves that mystery wide open as we, we see the, the depiction of the burial, we see the depiction of the empty tomb and, mm-hmm. and there's just this empty space. Um, but as, as 
we embrace and wrestle with this notion of Jesus descending to the dead, right? I'm reminded of the power of the incarnation at the very beginning, right? Yeah. At Christmas, we celebrate that that Christ was born unto us. As John 1 says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, dwelled among us. Mm-hmm. And, and often we, when we talk about that, we, we lift up the idea that in order to redeem humanity, Christ had to become one of us. And so why yeah. would it not make sense that in order to break the gates of hell, to redeem the pain, the hurt, the heartache, the the loss that is in the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we we know that it's only after Easter, right? After he is risen that he ascends into heaven. Yeah. So if it nothing else, we have to wrestle with the mystery mm-hmm. of what's happening in the tomb. One of the things I've read about... Um, if it matters or not, what's mm-hmm. happening with yeah. Jesus in the tomb is that there's lots of stories in the gospel of Jesus bringing people back from the dead, resuscitating them. Lazarus. And so you have, yeah, and Lazarus was in a tube until he stank, yeah. right? He and stinketh. <laughs> the, the one time I preached from the King James Bible was for that passage because yeah. you got to say he stinketh. <laughs> and the story of Lazarus is a wonderful story for us. But if the story of Jesus means something different, then we have to think about why it's a different thing, why it's a resurrection instead of a resuscitation. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things people have said is that um, Jesus is even active on our behalf in death. Mm -hmm. Um, And while everyone else is taking Sabbath, Jesus is doing something even if he's in the tomb. And that's on brand for Jesus, working on the Sabbath in face of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pharisees were mad about about that too. If they knew what he was doing, they'd grouch at him. Even in death. Even in death. death. (laughs) Jesus, don't you know that you're breaking the rules? You can't slow me down. Yes, I do. (laughs) So another thing that we're wondering about this Holy Week is we just had Palm Sunday, and we had all the kids waving the palms and screaming, Hosanna, save us. It was super cute. Um, And then we go so quickly to Good Friday Choir Mm. Cantata when we're going to cry out, crucify him. So can you tell us a little bit about this pendulum swing of the week and what it means in the story of Jesus? Well, before we go, you know, really deep into this, um, the, we're human. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a good observation. We're, we're known to be fickle at times. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. Yeah. No, I, I would ask you on a much smaller scale, when in your life have you swung in a matter of three or four days yeah. from a moment of incredible joy to a moment of incredible pain or anger or frustration, mm-hmm. um, sometimes revolving around the same thing and other times just um, on completely different things where life circumstances change and, and you go from heaven on earth to hell on earth, as we were talking about a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of being human. That's part of the human condition. It's part of being alive um, that we are prone to those kinds of swings. So uh, last week I was, um, I'm in this group called Leadership Cleburne and it was health day. And so we toured all sorts of facilities that take you from birth to death. And so one of the last things we did on the day was we actually toured a funeral home. And I remember in it, um, the funeral director was telling us a little bit about, you know, kind of what they do which was really funny because as a pastor, I was sitting there being like, yeah, 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 I know that. And then looking around my class and realizing, oh, 
Not everyone has the experience of a pastor. Um, But in it, the funeral director talking about as um, millennials and younger people begin to experience, you know, parents um, or grandparents dying in this more adulthood capacity, right, to experience it, that they're not coming in. Um, in the stage of kind of shock where they see a lot of family come in at, mm. um, where at the funeral it's still kind of this isn't real, but mm. rather they're already progressed to the stage of anger. Mm. Hmm. Okay. And that it's changing the way funeral directors have to relate mm. to um, the families. And so one of the things that made me think about when I heard this question was if you're crying out, Hosanna, save us, that believing this is going to be the person who saves us, who delivers us from Rome, yeah. dare I say, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Then if he, if he's getting put on trial to go to death, could you not also already be at the stage of anger? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because your expectations weren't fulfilled. Yes. Mm-hmm. The promise was not lived out, or the mm-hmm. promise as you understood it. Yeah. Now, it turns out Jesus was doing something much bigger and grander than you could yes. ever understand. Mm-hmm. But that baseline, this is what I thought was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Yeah, That's happened to every one of us at different moments in life. I love college basketball, and March Madness is one of my favorite things, right? And <laughs> and yeah, yes, we're going here. Everybody's laughing at me. Michael's Hook it up, preacher. We're good. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> you can do uh, it. But if you watched... The national semifinal between Virginia and Auburn, right? Auburn thought they were going to win that game. They were up by two with seconds to go. They force a bad three-point shot from Virginia, right? And you could see their fans are just, you know, the guy misses it, right? Mm -hmm. And their fans are going nuts. They're excited. They're rip-roaring, ready to go. And then in the midst of this of the crowd, you hear the whistle blow because their guy ran into the guy as he was shooting a three-point shot, and and he fouled him. I mean, if we look at the replay, he fouled him, but it's often one of those calls where the ref swallows his whistle in the last three seconds of a game because you don't want to determine the outcome of the game as an official, Mm -hmm. right? And within microseconds, once the Auburn fans knew that the foul had been called, they were jubilant beyond measure, and then microseconds later, as angry as a group of people I've ever seen <laughs> because of the injustice of having the foul called. And Michael's smiling over here because he tweeted that it wasn't a foul, and, and we had a little back and forth on Twitter about it. Um, but the uh, to be fair, I was in a, a restaurant and the <laughs> that was barely paying attention. <laughs> but that's how that's how quickly you can get angry, even when you're not paying that much attention. Yeah, and just and I know not everybody loves sports, but it, but we all have those accurate, accurate, yes. <laughs> um, but we all have those moments where, when we think we've accomplished this one thing and it feels real and in hand, and and for people longing for liberation under the boot of Rome for so long, mm-hmm. to feel like. Here's Jesus coming in on this triumphant entry, right? Here is the triumphus that we talked about on Sunday, right? This grand parade that's signaling to everybody something's going to change. And then he gets arrested and put on trial. 
and he's not even claiming the title of the king of the Jews when they question him? That frustration could be really real. Yeah. And, and the pain, really, of, yeah. of unexperienced, the pain of expectations crushed can be a real thing. And so, yeah, part of it's just the, the two seconds answer is, well, human condition. Yes. <laughs> we are people. We're prone to brokenness. Um, but there's also a major shift that happens sometimes. Um, I, think, I think that that is definitely the, the major reason. But as with most things in the world, there's all different kinds of things going into, into things. Um, and I do think that is the major reason why, why whenever Jesus comes in, there's this expectation, right, that is not fulfilled. I, bef- below that, I think there's also this, what, what I always garner from this is this measure of you have this city who is welcoming in this prophet, uh, this teacher, who they have heard things about from afar, Mm. And how often do we go, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That sounds really good. Love your neighbor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. But then when that starts creeping into your life and you suddenly start have to, you have to kind of take those things and go, well, love my neighbor? I mean, I think everybody should love their neighbor, but yeah. I mean, I should love my neighbor? It, you know, Jesus comes into a city, starts knocking over all these sacred cows. Right. And the people of Jerusalem then have to really, which again, Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem, has set, that's where he's going. And so it's this, it's a, this interesting thing of welcoming him in. Oh, we've heard these amazing things about him and could he be the one and all this? And then he comes in and one of those ways that he starts uh, breaking those expectations mm-hmm. is I'm not coming in to hold these things yeah. up that you find so, so dear and mm. so holy I'm showing you that there's sacredness elsewhere, mm. that there's sacredness everywhere, not just here in this temple. And that ticked people off because they literally had to yeah. then look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, well, this all sounded good until it came into my backyard. And so how often do we do that, mm. right, as, as followers of Christ? How often do we keep Jesus outside Jerusalem? instead of letting Jesus come into our own personal Jerusalem. Well, and not to, to tie us back to where we were going earlier, right? How Easter is about not just the life to come, but the life here today. And I think sometimes when we put this resurrection power, the power of Christ in our lives in this only in the life to come, we're saved for whatever happens when we die. We're doing just that. We're saying, okay, you stay away from my day to day right now. <laughs> Let me do things the way I want to do things and, and then save me when I need it later. When Jesus is like, no, no. I mean, if anything is clear from this journey through Luke this Lenten season is that the expectations are high for radical life transformation right now. Wonderful. So we've got a couple of questions that I'm going to pull together because we have some people really curious about the literal timeline of what happens on Holy Week or if there's uh, extra biblical proof or written record of the resurrection and really grasping for something tangible that uh, we can cling to and say, this is exactly how it is. And I wonder if you have a, a pastoral word for some of the people with those questions. Yeah, I mean, I think that that push for certainty is a, a very real human thing. It's something that we all long for. It's uh, we want to be able to know exactly how and exactly why, and and make all the dots make sense along the way. Um, but one of the things that's become clear to me over the years is that 
living as a person of faith is not always about finding every exact answer. It's about yeah. falling into the mystery and trust in God in the process along the way. Um, and, and I think sometimes um, that's where we've been called to lean into. And, and especially in an environment when, when we look at Holy Week, all four Gospels are a little different. They all have slightly different yeah. um, sort of sequences of events, specific versions of events. And, and yeah, we could try to smoosh those all together into one coherent timeline. And, and many good and attempting to be faithful Christians have done that along the way, right? But when we do that, we lose the witness, I think, of each of the four independent Gospels, right? Um, and the power of their witness, because they lay it out in a very in a way that's on purpose, right? Um, and and I wonder if we um, are beginning to try to lean in and and not ask the wrong questions, but put weight on some things to the detriment of others, when when the weight might be better placed in in just leaning into the mystery of it and falling into the mystery of it and trusting that. While, to my knowledge, we don't have any extra biblical proof or written record of the literal physical resurrection of Jesus, we, we do have encounters both in Holy Scripture and in the life of humanity for 2,000 plus years now of the experience, the resurrection experiences of yeah. Christ, where Christ has shown up, um, sometimes in ways we can't explain or wrap our heads around, but we know, right? Um, and, and so I think sometimes God is calling us to lean in and trust even in a world when we really just want to be able to have concrete proof. Um, yeah, I think the short answer is simply no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't, but, but in that, there is a greater invitation mm. into the beauty of faith yeah. um, in, in being willing to fall into the mystery of God time and time again and say, I, I trust you in this. Mm-hmm. And also, it's kind of a cross-cultural experience, too, because yeah. we're reading a document that was, it's thousands of years old. It was a different culture. It was a different time. The scientific need to date and data collect and organize things right. is a modern invention. And so it is permission to walk in someone else's shoes when we encounter these stories and to experience it through someone else's eyes and learn something perhaps for the way we're even to encounter our own stories as we go about in our daily lives. And through that, hopefully we'll encounter something of God. We're placing unreasonable expectations on it when we expect Luke or Matthew or John to be live tweeting the, the (laughs) actions of Jesus, right? Um, these are texts inspired by God with a theological claim, grounded in reality, yeah. but a theological claim. And, and that's why, you know, again, as we have four Gospels, we'll have different nuggets show up and, you know, different stories show up in all four Gospels. And, and the way they tell the story slightly varies. And sometimes the word choice is different along the way because their audience was different, right? The community they were speaking to is different. And their aim at the end of the day was the same to offer this witness to the power and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, in a way that their people and their communities would embrace and understand. And so, but embracing and understanding that is grounded in falling into the mystery. It's willing to accept the paradoxes. It's, 
It's this faith word that we often talk about, but struggle to lean into in the fullness, fullest sense of it. There is no question for me yeah. that the resurrection happened, right? That's not story or metaphor. Jesus went from being dead to alive, and we can, you know, have good conversation around what all that means, right? Right. Books and books could be filled with what that means, right? They have. They have, and they will continue to be. But I'm not going to worry too much about if it's this word or that word or if it's um, a day or three days or um, if it tells me the story. That it happened is more important than how it happened. Yes. Yeah. And now I have the question that's on everybody's mind. So there's a lot of pressure. Why is there so much church this week? (laughs) I think it's so that pastors can support uh, the coffee industry. We've got stock investments in different (laughs) coffee companies, and we want to make sure that those get boosted right as the first quarter earnings come out. So. And Wesley, in tradition, you know, there used to be the circuit riders where they'd issue you a horse and, right. you know, your book of discipline. Now they issue you your book of discipline and stocks and coffee. There you go. That, that <laughs> is, um, that's how this works. But really, it, it there is so much this week because it's an important week every year, right? Really, you can see Easter as the start of the Christian year, right? That we have died and been risen with Christ. Um, Every year we need to be reminded of that. And so we have a week where we prepare ourselves to experience that and to live again a new year. And as I told um, some people back um, when we started Lent, and I think it's doubly true when we hit the Holy Week stretch, If we just show up on Easter morning, Easter morning will be like chocolate cake baked from the box. It'll be okay. Yeah, Yeah, good. It's still chocolate cake. Or if we go and we live out all of Holy Week, experiencing everything it has to offer. Going to the depths. Going to the depths of Living in the pain. And then... Watching the sun rise mm-hmm. on Easter morning. Instead, you'll have one of Chris Ubetta's mom's kitchen chocolate cakes. Mm. And I'll take that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can I have the almond cake instead? Sure. What? Okay. You, the, okay. the meta put insert your preferred <laughs> cake option. Do they even make box chocolate almond cake? It's actually just a box of almonds. It's just a box of almonds, yeah. With a bottle of almond extract next to it as your chaser. (laughs) Um, Melissa, you're absolutely right. The the most interesting part of the last two minutes uh, was that y'all didn't get to see this because this is an audio production. (laughs) But as you're saying, the good Baptist in the room, that... um, Easter and Holy Week are the start of the good Christian year. I'm watching the Catholic in the room twitch like, nope, that's not right. Liturgically, that's incorrect. I didn't say anything, though. I kept it to myself. I know it's not our liturgical start of the season, but there is a beauty in seeing it. Easter's great. It's just not the beginning. Don't call it the beginning. Whether it's the beginning or not, there is absolute power in being willing to experience the pain mm. so that the joy takes on new meaning. Um, 
because I don't know about you, but for me, every Holy Week, I lift up with absolute joy seeing the cuteness of our kids shouting Hosanna and whacking each other with palm leaves. And that sparks joy. But then as we go through the whole week, I'm better able to name those places where Christ has been as close to me as as my next meal, right? The bread and the cup of Holy Thursday, but then also those moments in my life where maybe I wouldn't haven't said it with my words, but I've said it with my actions where I've said crucify him, right? That's asking too much. I'm not ready to go there. And when we're able and willing to enter into the whole week, even the uncertainty and the ambiguity of Saturday, because while we know how the story ends, the those first disciples didn't. When we allow ourselves to be placed in their shoes, Easter makes all the difference in the world. Um, it helps us experience the power and the joy in a whole new way. Thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. I'm non-Pastor Michael. Youth Director Marianne. We are so glad that you were here with us this morning, Marianne. Uh, And now that you have gathered with us, I'm going to invite you to grow. And the invitation to grow this week is simple. Allow yourself to enter and experience the story of Holy Week. Come join us. Invest in coffee with us. Be with us. Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again. You get bonus points if you show up to sunrise service out at the golf links with me at 6.30 on Sunday morning and then come to big church after that. Allow yourself to enter the story because God will give you a gift that's even better than Chris Yabetta's chocolate cake if you allow yourself to enter the story. And go with this benediction to be lived out this week in the simple way This week as you go, may you choose what kind of chocolate cake you want to have on Easter morning. May you go in peace. Amen. Amen.